the 90s, you know, hip-hop painted this response. You know, there was this, this big response to all of the stuff that we were seeing in our environment. The murder, the mayhem, the prison, the death, the destruction. And rappers, you know, were speaking a language that we could relate to. I mean, truthfully, in order to wear the badge of authentic masculinity, you had to be associated in some kind of way with this wayward lifestyle. You certainly needed it to get a record deal. And so what was happening was hip-hop was now being stigmatized as the equivalent of criminal. We found ourselves in a nation that saw us as criminals, so we embraced it. I mean, in the 80s, hip-hop's target audience was black, male, and urban. By the 90s and 2000s, it had spread out to the suburbs, and the largest purchasers of hip-hop were white suburban males. When it broadened out and diversified to the suburbs, it embraced criminality, sold it for profit. Socially, consciousness and positivity was out. Criminality and gangsterism was in. And now that love for Pulp Fiction, that love for Godfather and a good old Western shoot 'em up was now embracing these street tales of rap music. The biggest artist, you know, embrace this identity and this lifestyle and they sell it, they make millions, and they're looked upon as heroes for making it out the ghetto. When I was on The Wire and the scene had come up where Omar had to kill Stringer, I remember struggling with that narrative. How come two dark-skinned kings, in order for one to live, one must die? Why is that? I often pray that Jimmy and 50 would find peace. The community needs them both. What a great day that would be to see those two men put their beef down, even if they don't become friends or allies. I hope that they can find peace with each other. Previously on Born Felon. If y'all believe the things that y'all hear about me, because remember, it wasn't only that the, the Tupac um, fiction that I was accused of. It was also that I was racketeering in the business, that I was extorting in the business, that I was, you know, uh, I was strong on, that I was walking in people's offices and, and shaking them down, that I was, you know, there were so many rumors out there. And I used to tell people, there's no way for me to hide any of those facts if they're true. If you look at the rise of Jimmy's career, what is ironic about the disputes that he ended up in is that they weren't street beefs. They weren't issues that tied back to his days in Brooklyn or his time locked up. After Jimmy's reputation was caught up in the Tupac Shakur saga, another beef started between 50 Cent and the game. Normally hip hop managers and executives are exempt from issues between actual artists, but 50 Cent and Jimmy had some deeper issues. And maybe, just maybe, this was just bigger than hip hop. 50 Cent's protege, The Game, released the documentary, which became an instant platinum seller. However, as record sales were soaring, rumors circulated that these two artists, known for their beef with others, were now pointing their aim at each other. So, what you gotta understand is that 50 Cent always blamed me for what Game initially or eventually did to the whole G-Unit brand. When Game did 300 bars and ruined them lyrically, when Game came to New York and went to Queens, to, to Merrick Boulevard in Jamaica, and filmed it, 
and was walking around in his so-called hood. Um, that tarnished 50 Cent's um, whole image, the, the unstoppable, the impenetrable kind of image that he had. And not only that, Game massively came up with the idea of GU not. And that changed the whole branding of the G unit. That took that company from $30 million down to about 10 or 12 million, which was a loss. On the Funkmaster Flex show, 50 Cent and G unit stated that the game was no longer part of G unit. That night at a concert in Long Beach, Game dissed all the members of G unit. Do you think Game has a problem with the relationship that you have with the rest of the team? I think he has a problem with my position. I think he'd like to be 50 Cent. But the problem was, it wasn't me doing it. It was Game doing it. I didn't stop Game. However, Game did that on his own. He felt like he was being bullied, and he fought on all levels a war that 50 Cent started with. But he's seen that this guy was really doing something and, and denting his armor. He started saying, because I ran into him one day. Matter of fact, I didn't even run into him. I, he called me. And he said, come on, Jimmy, man. You think a dude from Compton is going to come to Queens like that? I know you behind this, man. And I was like, man, I'm not behind this. Because when I told y'all to to leave the kid alone and not to do what y'all did to him, I said, y'all continued to do it. And he couldn't believe that game masterfully took him on the way that he did. A kid from Compton. I don't even know how this whole beef came apart with me. I mean, came about with me and him because we're all under the same roof. But he started it, and uh, and you know I'm I was ready to finish it. Have you two tried to sit down or talk about? I it? Haven't even had a conversation with him. But there's no need for communication after so you've been that disrespectful. So you, this is this is it. This is it. This is it. So when he reflect on that, and then he think about, he's not getting no points saying he has beef with with game he has to say he has beef with me the so-called guy who did something to Tupac because everything that he thought the dominating force that he was over at Interscope game was taking that away from him this guy is, is truly truly a punk man he's truly a clown here it is Eminem Dr. Dre did Eminem a favor by putting you under the umbrella to give you credibility. Now that it's time for you to do that with game, why are you trying to stifle his growth? The first three records he put out, I'm on them. What's our story? How we do? Hate it or love it? Those are just three singles to date. So every record that he's selling is based on me being on his record with him. I'm not going to say that he didn't help with the project because he played small part in in the success of the documentary but he you know he did the things that he was supposed to do we were all at camp the things that eminem did for him you know what i'm saying the things that dre did for him but but you didn't hear dre on the radio or him on the radio talking about they helped 50 with this or, or dre gave him in the club or you know what i'm saying it's not about that it's about us all making money and keeping it under one roof and everybody being successful he didn't want to lend the same courtesy that Dr. Dre did for him, he didn't want to lend that to game. And that's going to be to his demise, man. He does that to everybody who's around him. Look how he treats his own little crew. 
the dude is is a tyrant, man. He's a a, a big bully, and, but he's a punk bully. He's a punk tyrant. He's a tyrant that stays in his castle and, and throws rocks from a window in his castle and then hide in the dungeon when it, when a person comes up to the castle. The guy is not a guy who will confront anybody. He hides behind bulletproof cars. He hides in his house in Connecticut, if he even still has that house in Connecticut. But that's what this guy does. Man. He's been doing that for a whole decade, man. That's what he does. Well, a member of 50 Cent's entourage is recovering today from a gunshot wound. The 24-year-old Los Angeles man was reportedly shot in the leg last night while in the lobby of a Manhattan radio station. We were in New York. We didn't have cars. We just hopped out of cabs, and, and we went up there trying to, you know, defuse something and uh, talk to a guy that didn't want to talk. You know, he remained upstairs in the radio station and sent security down. Police say a group was exiting the building. They were leaving, and they started to argue, and someone pulled a gun. 50 was not injured during the incident. Victim is in stable condition. No arrests have been made. And the security came down, and they seen, you know, 30 black Wall Street guys outside, and they start shooting at the ground. Some shots skidded up, skidded up off the ground, and hit my man in his leg a couple times. Most news reports got the story wrong. When the dust has settled, it was discovered that it was actually the game's friend who had been shot, not one of 50's entourage. People say, uh, they, you know, they like to say, well, 50 Cent, you know, shot one of game's, you know, cohorts or whatever, but that's not what happened. 50 Cent went out the back door of the radio station and his security, armed security, which were more, more than likely NYPD came out and were, you know, they felt they were, they were scared, so they pulled out guns, and dude got to shooting at the ground, skidded up, hit Kevin, he was bleeding in the snow, and I feel embarrassed by what happened, and I felt like uh, I let every, all my guys down and, and leading them in that, you know, in that, in that situation where we had to retreat because we were, you know, outgunned. This is a fascinating exchange, and gets to the heart of how this epic beef evolved. 50 Cent is arguably one of the most savvy marketers of his music and now his television empire. It was a chess game to him, and pre-social media, that meant going on the radio, mainly Hot 97 in New York, or the local press. When the shooting at Hot 97 happened, and me and Chris Lighty and us set up the, the staged handshake between 50 and Game in Harlem with Al Sharpton, Russell Simmons, and all of that, Chris Lighty was a powerful music industry manager at the time. He also managed 50 Cent and G-Unit. With the situation rapidly deteriorating and another showdown bound to take place, 50 Cent reached out to the game to squash the beef. On the anniversary of Biggie Small's death, the two met up at Harlem's famed Schauburg Center for Research in Black Culture to donate over 250,000 to youth charity. I just want to apologize on behalf of myself 50 Cent and uh, to the fans, the uh, radio stations, our labels, and uh, I'm almost ashamed to, to have uh, participated in the things that went on the last couple of weeks. In the shadow of the untimely death of Biggie, today marks the anniversary of his death. We're here today to show that people can rise above even the most difficult circumstances and together we can put negativity behind us. I feel like this is an opportunity for people to see us make peace. Let's be clear. When the shooting happened at Hot 97 in 2005, 
50 Cent, his music, and his presence anywhere he went was filled with an aura of danger. Riding around in bulletproof SUVs, wearing bulletproof vests, his entourage members definitely would pull a gun out. This time in hip-hop music, at least gave the illusion of violence. 50 was followed almost everywhere he went by NYPD plainclothes detectives and possibly the feds. This didn't help Jimmy in any way to be the game's manager. What ended up happening is when me and game is walking out of the back door, there's a slew of NYPD that's there. I, I swear to you, and I'm not making this up. When they saw me, all I could do is read the lips of the police saying, there go Jimmy Henchman. So when we get into the van and we drive off, I see that they're telling. So we stop at 125th Street because Game wanted to get something to eat. And I let this 12 of them all together. Because Game rolled deep with his guys from California. They all empty the truck. I get under the seat of the van because I don't want to be a part of this town that the police have. Or I'm thinking, they, they're interested in the game because that's where the shoot happened with, with 50. Man, when they didn't see me get out of that van, they stayed on the van to the point of where I just had to get from under the seat because the driver kept telling me they're still on us. And I just I just told them to let me out and I took the train to, to shake the tail. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't understand me as the manager, why are they telling me and not the rapper guy? I, I wasn't even at Hot 97 when the shooting happened. So that's when I knew that these people were interested in me, not game or the rapper or any, any of that other stuff. And I think in, at that point, it got to the point of where they were like, Todd coming to them because he was a Queens DA guy. And I could just imagine him being fascinated by 50 Cent. And here it is, I'm in the shadow of game, and I could see him saying, I need to get to this guy because if you talk to guys in the East Coast, my name would come up. If you talk to guys in the West Coast, it would be Suge name that came up. And so I could see that at that point, that's when I got on the, on the radar of Todd Kaminsky in Queens, and he wanted to take my case to the Eastern District when he moved over to that particular district. Why are these people, why they keep bothering me? I'm not doing nothing. I don't rap, I don't do nothing. All I'm doing is real business at the time. And, and I guess having game as a gangbanger, game in the height of the G-Unit, game in the hype of some shootings, didn't help the situation. It just only really made it worse because they didn't believe that game as a rapper was, was doing anything. They was always looking at his manager as who who had a criminal history that had to be the one and not only that he's a suspect in the Tupac shoot because guess what the only evidence we got is because of a rap song that Tupac said Todd Kaminsky worked as an assistant DA in Queens County early in his career he then joined the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District and one can speculate that Todd at some point got Jimmy in his crosshairs. In people's mind, because of my name, 50 himself would say, this ain't games doing, this is Jimmy's doing. So one day I'm at 
the Mixtape Awards at the Apollo, and um, I run into um, Tony Yayo, and he's with about 12 guys, and I'm with three guys, Khalil Abdullah being one of them, Muhammad Stewart being another, and I'm with um, someone else from the music business, I believe, from ASCAP Publishing was with me. This is the first time that Jimmy mentions the name Khalil Abdullah. And this is important, if not vital, for Jimmy's long-term story. The relationship between Khalil and Jimmy will become a focus as the feds close in on Jimmy's life and his business. Khalil was hired by Jimmy at some point as he owned a security company. His past is hazy. Through sources, I tried to get as much information as I could, and Khalil sat down with me off the record. And um, when they see me, they um, they get a little tense, and they they see at the same time when they do see me that the police is searching me. So when I see Yayo at the Apollo, he's Haitian. I greet him with sac passe, a Haitian greeting. He in turn asks me what's going on with game, and um, in that situation, and I tell him, well. I don't have, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on with game. When you see game, you need to ask game. His guys get a little rowdy. I see a lot of them are going in their waist. He's with a guy by the name of Maserati Fox. And um, when we go to the balcony, they follow us to the balcony. Um, then I see them ushering Tony Yeo out. Then I see Maserati Fox coming over to the to the group that I was with. And he pulls out a gun and he says, which one of you is Jimmy? Because it was real dark in the, in the, um, on the balcony. I'm in shock that now there's gunplay into this with me. I'm absolutely in shock. At that point, me and um, my driver jumps in front of me and we try to really rush this guy, Maserati Fox, with the gun. And he leaves and we leave. After... I left the Apollo. Khalil Abdullah called a few of his friends, and his friend came over with some firearms. He told me what I wanted to do because the guy had pulled the gun out, asking which one of them was me. Which we figured out he was bluffing because if he if a guy pull out a gun and he's gonna shoot, he shoots. When we see he was doing a bunch of talking, we just walked away. So I told him, look, man, I didn't really know Khalil that well at that time. I just had to ask him if he wanted to come to the Mix Show Awards with me, he could come. Muhammad Stewart was with me. Um, my driver was with me, and a guy from ASCAP was with me. Um, and so when we walked outside and his friends was there with the firearms, he asked me, what did, what did I want to do? I said, you know what? I'm going to deal with this later. Because I was like, did this guy really pull a gun out? Like... Cause it was so dark in there and he was like yeah he pulled out a gun man um, i don't think you should let him get away with it at that point we just i called somebody inside i asked him to let me know when yayo and them was coming out of the, the club or the apollo um in fact they were coming out when we rolled around to the front of the apollo and um khalil had told his guys that follow us that when we um, see them leaving, um, they're in a white Bentley. There's about five carloads of guys. 
and um, we followed them. They came out of the Apollo. We followed them. Um, Khalil, at that point, called his guys and told them to shoot up the Bentley. So when they got to, like, Madison in 26 or 20, somewhere around there, 27th or something, um, we, me and Khalil parked, and the guys went over to the Bentley when they stopped at the light or pulled over or something like that, and, and the guys fired probably, like, three or four shots into the Bentley. And um, they, they drove off. Um, we thought they was going to be an exchange of gunfire. However, it wasn't none of that. They just drove off. The next day, Who Kid had called me and apologized to me for what happened in Apollo because he was with Yeo when they started the whole ruckus at the Apollo. And so it was obvious to me nobody had got shot. Can you tell me what happened to your son and your perspective on that? Because it is, I think, another... As the quad studio shooting is, it, this is sort of another event in your life that spirals into this whole story. Can you talk about your perspective on that? My son was interning at my office, and Chris Lighty's office was across the street from mine. And I would send my son on errands, or anybody from the office would send him on errands, going to Home Depot, I mean, the office depot, or things of that nature staples and stuff like that to get office supplies and do little errands around the office. He was 14 at that point. You know, one of the things, because I never had a father figure, I always wanted my son to see and me having my own business. My son only understands and knows me for working. He doesn't know, you know, the, the, the so-called um, street side of his daddy. I'm sure when he started surfing the internet, he's seen some things. However, he doesn't, he's never seen anything um, that could, he could draw that assumption off of. They only know me as a working man. And that's all I've been pretty much most of his life. So when my son um, went out to the store, he had a Zaw t-shirt on. And when he was on his way back in, um, there were two jeeps in front of violator um, management um, and one of the chiefs was 50 cent and the other chief was Yayo um, Luell Fletcher and two other guys um, that I don't know who they are Lowell Fletcher was one of the individuals that were present that day with Tony Yayo and 50 cent Fletcher would end up dead on a Bronx street shot and killed, a crime that they would ultimately charge Jimmy with. They they got out of the car. The only reason I know 50 was in the first car, the first Jeep, is because uh, 50 had rolled down his window when he saw the Zaw shirt coming up the block. Now, I want to just remind you, my son is 14, but he looked 12. And you know how, if you when you're young, you look younger than what you are. Yeah. He probably looked more like 11. You know, he probably looked more like 11 than even 12. But he was 14 years old. So they, the, the second Jeep, Yayo and them jump out of the car. They surround him. Yayo and them jump out of the car. They're showing him gun handles. Um, and then they ask him, why do we add that shirt on? I don't believe they knew he was my son. Um, they just was picking on a little kid, 
you know, um, and my son was kind of confused, and um, one of them pushed him, and then Yayo slapped him and kicked him. And then he ran up to the office while I was at the office. So when I when he comes in, he tells me that Yayo slapped him. Of course, the most recognizable guy is Yayo. So he knows who slapped him. He said that it was Yayo that assaulted him. So um, at that point, the guys who was at the office, me and them ran downstairs. They were gone already. The jeeps were gone. But what I did find out, the, the car lot guy ran up to me and said, I told them that was your son. And as soon as I told them that, they got in their cars and drove off. So at the same time, Chris Whitey brothers walking up the block and Muhammad at that point sees him and attacks Chris Lighty's brother. About a day or two after that, me and Chris Lighty have a conversation. Chris Lighty said he's very sorry that he's gonna talk to Fifty and them to get this resolved. I told him there were a few options to make this right. One of them was to, to pay, um, you know, just like regular people do. He sued me. It wouldn't be no problem for me to sue him. Chris Lighty comes back to me and tells me that um, 50 doesn't want to pay. And what he want to pay was very small. You know, my son's mother went to, the, went to the police in regards to it. About a week after that, I went to Mecca. That's when me and Khalil goes to Mecca. I go from Mecca with Khalil. I leave them in Mecca. And I, I fly to Senegal. Akon put me with his people in Senegal. I stay out there for a couple of days, and then I go over to Ghana, and then I come back to New York. At that point, you know, there's a lot of people that's mad about the situation. Two years ago, there was a very well-publicized disagreement that I got involved with that we tried to, in the spirit of an artist named 50 and an artist named James coming together to Schomburg, said, let's try and build peace. In the last two years, we have seen that peace shattered. But we cannot sit silent while obviously something happened. Porter said to me, am I blaming a specific person for this beating? I don't know. I know he didn't beat himself. There is no civilized society that can stand by while his children are being beaten. Was there a justification why Lighty and and 50 did not want to settle this and, and pay the money? Did they give a justification after assaulting a young kid? It all had to do with me, man. It didn't have nothing to do with nothing else. It, it, it's something about the defying me that they felt they were doing something big, I guess. I, I don't know, man. You know, I, anybody else would have knew that was a bad a bad decision to make. However, and I know Chris for a long time. Chris just was like, man, leave me out of it. I was like, but you're, you're in it because obviously this is the, the way you guys must feel about me. If these guys would see a little kid and run down on a little kid, then this is the expression of what you guys feel. I definitely could have handled some of this stuff differently. Because what what I didn't realize at the time was how much of a punk this guy, 50 Cent and Yeo is. I just couldn't believe 
how much of just little girls they were, man. Anybody who could jump on a 14-year-old who looked 12, you know they have to be a coward. If I really understood what kind of so-called men these guys were, if I really understood that they were boys, little boys, with pants bigger than what they can wear, I would have definitely dealt with this difference, 100%. You know, 100%. What I could have done was just really just stay out of it. My son mother had sued. 50 Cent and Yayo, and I should have just allowed her to do that. Even before Luell Fletcher died, the Post or the Daily News, one of them had printed an article stating that somebody's going to die because what they did to my son. And I should have knew that that was a sign that if anything happened to any of these guys, that I would have gotten blamed for it. But, but I knew that anyway. And it didn't take me to read a newspaper to know that. Next time, I'm bored felon. Here's the thing. Ethan Brown put out there in that article, if I, if you, if I can remember correctly, he put out there that I was being investigated by the Eastern District. We find out that I'm not even really being investigated. But the seed has been planted already. Like, I'm being investigated. All of a sudden now, when Todd Kaminsky gets to the Eastern District, he pulls down Dexter Isaac, you know, to talk about Tupac because they have no other case on. So, and, and this is around the time when I start seeing that I'm starting to be trapped. Really, after the, the Top 97 shooting, I'm starting to be tell that this Ethan Brown article at Vibe just puts me on everybody's radar. Especially when he says I'm already being investigated because Tut and Jack um, had came down for questioning and I should have reason to be afraid uh, because they may implement me in it.